I'll be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. So grateful once again to have this time, this part of worship, to study from God's divine will. These three verses will be the basis of our discussion this evening. Please read with me 1 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 14. Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. I want to call this this evening... Paul's reason for everything. Paul's reason for everything. Notice here he says in verse 14, I hope to come to you. Timothy is in Ephesus. If you look at 1 Timothy 1 and verse 3. Timothy's in Ephesus. Paul has been to Ephesus, but he's in the area of Macedonia when he's writing this. He's not sure he'll get to come back to Ephesus and join Timothy. But he says, if I delay, I am writing to you so that. See that in verse 14? I hope to come to you, but I'm going to go ahead and write these things to you so that if I delay. And then he continues his words of encouragement. So Paul's reason for writing here. I believe, can also be translated Paul's reason for everything. Paul's reason for everything. Now, if the Apostle Paul is going to state his reason for what he does, then I want to stand in line for that. I want to line up for that. For me, that is very interesting. Because think about Paul, the great Apostle. He wrote much of the New Testament. Absolutely. He traveled thousands of miles. Thousands of miles. Across the land, across the seas. To preach the gospel. He suffered many things. In behalf of Christ. He eventually died. In service to Christ. If Paul is going to state. His reason. For everything. His reason for what he does. I I think like you. I want to hear what he's got to say. I don't want to miss it. Now, the framework of our discussion will be the church of Christ, the life of Christ, and the glory of Christ. And you can see that right here in your own Bible from these very verses. We're not surprised that Paul... (laughs) would look at everything from the viewpoint of Christ. 
For, for Paul, without Christ, there's no need to exist. There's no need for living. We remember, he says in Philippians 1 and 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We remember him saying in Galatians 2 and verse 20, it is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And we know his words from Galatians 6 and verse 14. God forbid that I should glory, he says, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world has been crucified unto me and I unto the world. We know that he says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Back when we were in school, Brother Winkler would would say often, he said, when you go somewhere to preach, he said, look for the cross. Oftentimes you'll see it on the communion table. Here we've got the words in remembrance of me. Oftentimes you'll see a cross on, on the pulpit. Certainly you'll see the cross mentioned in Bible readings and in prayers and in songs. But he said, look for the cross and be sure when you get up to speak that you are hiding yourself behind the cross. That's good for all of us. And that's what Paul is doing here. It's what Paul did with his life. Now let's get into this. Paul's reason for everything starts with the church of Christ, verse 15 here in 1 Timothy 3. The church of Christ. Notice how he talks about the church of Christ. He talks about it as the church. The word church here means the called out. The called out from the world. That's what the word church means. Ecclesia, called out from the world. Through the gospel, 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 14. Through the gospel, God calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Those are words from 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. When we listen to the gospel and take it into our lives, into our hearts, then that is God calling us, just as sure as we're standing here. That is God calling us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so that's what the church, word church means. This is a focus on our separation from the world. You see, out of that darkness, the world lives for darkness. The world lives for itself. The world lives for material possessions. The world lives for the gratification, the desires of the flesh. But God calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is a focus on the separation from the world. Now notice also here in verse 15, 1 Timothy 3, that the church is referred to as the house of God, the family of God. So the church is God's called out people, but it's also the family of God. We come into the family of God through the new birth process. We are born of water and the spirit, John chapter 3 and verses 3 through 5. And in that family, God is our father and Jesus is our older brother. And we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, the church as the family, this is a focus upon relationships within the church. Look with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2. Look at 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. 
Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Treat younger men like brothers, older women like mothers, and younger women like sisters in all purity. You see that? And so the church as a family of God is a focus on the relationship within the church. And then notice here that the church is the support of the truth, the pillar and ground of the truth. So three references to the church here. The church is called out people. The church is the family of God. And the church as the support of the truth. Now the church does not bring the truth of God to the world. We didn't create it. God created it. He has brought it to the world. Jesus is the, is the truth. John 14 verse 6. Jesus is the truth. He has brought the truth of God to the world. And we find it here in the scriptures. We didn't create the truth. But... But here's, here's, the, here's the thing. God has put upon us the responsibility of sharing the truth. If the world ever gets the truth, it's because the church gets it to them. And there is no plan B. We are the pillar and the ground, the support of the truth. We understand that. We understand that. But we've got to let it translate into our very habits and lives. The church as the support of the truth is a focus on the commission of God. The great commission of God to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 16, 15. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that does not believe will be condemned. This is a focus on the commission of God. And so for Paul, his reason for writing was about the church of Christ, the called out people separated from the world, the family of God, relationships like Christ in the church. And then it is the support of the truth, and that is a focus on the commission of God. This is what Paul lived for. He lived for the church and all that it means in reality and according to what God has said. Let's get into this further and talk about the life of Christ. So look in your Bibles to verse 16. The life of Christ. This is why Paul is writing. It's all about the life of Christ. This is, this is more specifically referring to the truth. You know, notice here that Paul said, I write these things unto you. We don't, we don't get an understanding of life. We don't get an understanding of how to live life anywhere else except what has been written down for us. Paul says, I write these things. So let's focus here for a moment on the life of Christ. First, he was manifested in the flesh. We know this. Before Christ came to this earth, he was God. He is God. He is the Word, John 1 verse 1. He is the eternal Word. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was manifested in the flesh. Now, quick question. Why did Jesus need to come and become flesh? Why did Jesus become flesh? Let me share with you why He had to become flesh. First, because of a commentary upon the Father. He came to show us more about God. John 1 verse 18. The only begotten Son, it says there in John 1.18, who's in the bosom of the Father, He has declared 
the Father to us. He has declared him to us. He has explained the Father to us. We know much more now about the Holy God than we ever have known because Jesus came to this earth. Jesus once said, John 14, verse 9, He that has seen me has seen the Father. So it's a commentary on the Heavenly Father. Another reason why Jesus needed to come in the flesh here on this earth is to identify with man. He identified with us. It's very important for us to have a leader who who identifies with us. Um, Hebrews 4 and verse 15 says, We do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but one who was in all points tempted like as we are. Like as we are. Yet without sin. That's our leader. That's our leader. He identified with us. He lived life, life like us in all the various aspects, yet without sin. And so he identifies uh, with us. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18 says, In that he became flesh, he's able to help us. Being tempted without sin, yet uh, being in the flesh, he is able to be a helper of us. He is our high priest. He is our mediator. So he came in order to to show us the Father, and he came also, secondly, to identify with us. And then thirdly, he he came, as we mentioned this morning, he came to be the perfect model, the perfect pattern uh, for life. You know, um, in Acts 4, 13, when they saw Peter and John, Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, when the people saw Peter and John, they listened to them and they noticed how they behaved and they could tell they had been with Jesus. They had made Jesus their model for life. And we ought to also. First, first John 2, 6, we mentioned this morning, we ought to walk as he walked. So he came to be the perfect model. And then also he came to die. God being God, being Heaven, being divine, cannot die. God is spirit. A spirit being cannot die. A, a total spirit being cannot, cannot die. Jesus needed to come to earth to die for our, for our sins. Hebrews 2.9 says, He tasted death for every man. Hebrews 2 and 14, doesn't it say there that uh, through death he, um, he destroyed the the, power, the, the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. Okay. He took him out of the way through death. So he came to the flesh uh, so that he could die for sin. And then in related to this, he came to destroy the devil. So five reasons why Jesus had to become flesh. First, to show us the Father. Secondly, to identify with us. Thirdly, to leave us the perfect example, the perfect pattern model to live by. To, fourthly, to die for our sins. And then fifthly, to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, verse 8. He came, he was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. And so think about the life of Christ. He was manifested in the flesh, and then it says he's justified in the spirit. I wonder what that could mean. Well... Jesus didn't need to be justified because of sin, because he had no sin. This is more like um, he's being cleared of any suspicion, being cleared of, being vindicated, 
Okay. And how did God do that? Through the, through the resurrection of Jesus. Okay. You might read a passage or two with me about this. But Jesus was justified. He was cleared of any suspicion. It has to be suspicion because he didn't actually commit any crime or sin. But notice what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3 about this. 1 Peter chapter 3. I believe it's around verse 17 and 18. Verse 18 says, uh, 1 Peter 3, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And then notice also Romans chapter 8, along with this, along these lines, verse 11. Romans 8 and verse 11. Paul says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you so Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit and that cleared him of any suspicion so he was manifested in the flesh and he was justified in the spirit that is he was raised from the dead and then he was seen of angels and you know this you know this. You know that angels announced the birth of Christ to the shepherds in the field. You know that after Jesus, Matthew 4 verse 11, after Jesus had gone through the temptations in the wilderness, the angels came to minister unto him. We know that when Jesus was praying in the garden of Gethsemane prior to the crucifixion, the angels come to minister to him there. I think that's uh, Luke 22. And then you also know that on the resurrection morning there, were, there was an angel there announcing to the ladies exactly what uh, had taken place. That Jesus is not here. He is risen. Come see the place where he lay. Angels were there. Acts 1 verses 9 through 11 when Jesus ascended up on high. Many times angels were here and they were there uh, with the Lord. He was seen of angels. Paul lived because of the life of Christ. That was his reason for living. And not only was Christ seen of angels, but also he was preached among the nations. Preached among the nations. Uh, Christ uh, left an unfinished work when he left. He gave the Great Commission. And right there in Acts 1, before he ascended up on high, if you look at Acts 1 and verse 8, he is sending his apostles out on, on, a, on these missions he said to them, you shall be my witnesses. Notice this. You shall be my witnesses. Beginning here in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and then finally to the uttermost parts of the earth. That forms basically a whole outline of the book of Acts. And that's what they're doing. He was preached among the nations, and then more there in 1 Timothy three sixteen. Notice that he was believed on in the world. Not only was he preached, he was believed. You know, you can't believe unless you've got the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing through the Word of Christ, as you know, Romans 10 and 17. And they preached him and he was, they believed in him. Well, what would be an example of somebody who believed in Christ to the point of the salvation of their soul? Oh, there's so many good examples. I love the one in Acts 16, 30-31 because it mentions belief. It mentions the jailer. It mentions there in Acts 16.34 at the very end of the conversation between Paul, 
Silas and the jailer, that it says that he believed in the Lord. Well, what did he do to end up believing in the Lord? Well, first, he had to hear what Paul was saying. He had to hear Paul's, Paul's uh, teaching. And then that developed in him a penitent heart, turning from things that he had done. And then finally he was baptized. And he became a believer in that way. Became a believer in that way. And so he was believed on in the world. And then the life of Christ mentions he was received up in the glory. The life of Christ. Now, what does the life of Christ bring to us? Well, it ought to bring an understanding to us. An understanding. Notice right here in 1 Timothy 3. Verse 16, it says, Great is the mystery of godliness. Mystery here doesn't mean mysterious, as you know. It means something that was, that was formerly obscure has now been announced clearly. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Now, Old Testament was full of prophecies about that which was to come. Okay. Um, so it wasn't clear in Old Testament times, but now it's perfectly clear. Okay. So the mystery is that it has been revealed. It's been revealed. And so the life of Christ brings understanding because so much of what was read about and thought about in Old Testament times now has been completed. It has been fulfilled by the life of Christ. And the life of Christ ought to bring some, some real confidence to us as well. In fact, maybe in your, uh, in your Bible, at the beginning of verse uh, 16. Is it, yeah, it's at the beginning of verse 16. It says, without controversy, greatest of mystery of godliness. Those words, without controversy, means uh, with absolute confidence. That's what he's saying. With absolute confidence, I say to you that the mystery of godliness is great. Is great. In a very undeniable way, we are presenting to you that the mystery, that the revelation, that the gospel presentation is something that is very great. And so the life of Christ ought to bring us a lot of confidence. That's what is so badly, sorely needed. Uh, in the world today, confidence in Christ. But I'll tell you, before we leave the life of Christ, it ought to bring a strategy to us. This is really, it would be proper to, to translate here at the beginning of verse 16. It, would, it, it wouldn't be bad to say, great is the strategy of God. Okay. That doesn't do harm at all to what is explained to us in verse 16. Without a doubt... In a very undeniable and with absolute confidence, we tell you that the strategy of God's divine plan is great. The life of Christ ought to bring us a strategy. And what I'm talking about is a strategy for sharing the gospel with people. Think about the little outline there in verse 16. Okay. It's not there just for us to, to notice it and understand it's it's it's. It's meaning, per se, but what about us sharing that? I can see any of us taking these different phrases manifested in the flesh. Okay, You've got the verses on that. 
John 1.14 and others. And then you've got the reasons why he had to come to the flesh. Okay, in those reasons, you are sharing the gospel, the very part of the gospel that a sinner needs to hear. This is where really it begins. Jesus came. Jesus came. He was manifested in the flesh. And then he had the resurrected resurrection. You can talk about that. You've got the verses there. You can talk about his resurrection from the dead and how that brought a justification of, uh, of all things. And then further, you can talk a little bit to someone about the angels being involved in Jesus' life, but then you can go on and talk about how important it was that they preached. What did they preach when they preached? What did they preach in the book of Acts? Notice the conditions of salvation. You can share that. And then notice how people believe, like the jailer believed. Uh, in Acts 6, verse 7, it says, a, a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Notice the, you can just notice with somebody the various examples of how people come to be true believers. And you've got, you've got the scriptures together where you can show someone how to become a true believer in Christ. And then you can show them how that Jesus was taken up into glory. He ascended upon high. Paul was living and doing and moving about because first of the church of Christ and secondly because of the life of Christ and finally because of the glory of Christ. That's our framework tonight. Church of Christ, life of Christ, and glory of Christ. Everything that Paul did was for the glory of Jesus. We saw that earlier, Galatians 6 and 14. Everything he did, it was about his glory. Paul is some more example for living. But then secondly, when Jesus was received up, when he left this earth, you know, you know he was resurrected from the dead, and then he was, he was here after his resurrection for some 40 days, and then he was received up. He went into glory. Notice a passage with me from Luke chapter uh, 24. Luke 24. And notice Jesus talking to the two men walking on the road to Emmaus. And he says to them, Luke 24, 26, he says, Was it not necessary, notice these words, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Into his glory. So when Jesus was raised from the dead and finally ascended up on high, he went into glory. He, he sat down on the right hand of God. He is now ruling over not just the church, really over the whole world. He's on the throne of God. He's on his right hand. Okay. I'm sure Brother Hester was discussing this morning from John 17, 1 through 5, and Jesus' prayer there. And, and Jesus is right there, you know, in, his, in this prayer. He's headed right to the cross, and he's praying to the Father, you know, glorify me with that glory that I had before I came to the earth. And then Jesus was, Jesus was homesick. You know, I'm, I'm ready to go back to the Father. I'm ready to go back uh, to heaven. Glorify me with that glory I had before I came and, and was made flesh. Jesus was received up into glory, to glory. Now, when Jesus comes again, according to Matthew 25 and 31, that will be a very glorious thing as well. He will come 
And he, he, will sit on his, he will sit on his glorious throne. He will come with his angels, his holy angels. And we will, we will meet him in the air. Not on earth. Not on earth. Okay. Jesus will never step another foot on the earth again, ever. When Jesus comes, we meet him in the air, the earth is going to be destroyed by fire, as you know. But there will be a great judgment scene. It will take place in the air. And Jesus will sit on his glorious throne and he will do the judging by his word. But then also for us, Jesus will, well, he has. He has paved the way for us to go to glory. What about that? Doesn't Paul say in Romans 8 and verse 18, I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed to us. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 17, Paul says, this light, of, this light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Of glory. And part of this process, according to Philippians 3 and 21, is that this lowly body will be transformed into a glorious body, much like our Lord's body according to his power. And so for Paul to live, it was all about Christ. Specifically, it was about the church of Christ, the life of Christ, and the glory of Christ. We also, by reading these verses, we have our reason for living. We have our reason for doing everything that we do. And you see it laid out before you. We offer the Lord's invitation this, this evening, as we always do. This invitation goes to everyone sitting here, and it goes to everyone standing here. This is for all of us. We're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. We need the Lord desperately. This invitation also goes out to anyone who may be listening in. The Lord has His arms open in great compassion. For anyone who will listen to the call of the gospel, anyone who is tired of the world, anyone who's ready to repent and turn away from the world, come out of darkness into the marvelous light of our God and his gospel, that this call, this, this invitation goes out. It may be someone is here ready. They want to become a member of God's family. You've got to be born into that family through the water and the spirit. You've got to be born into that family. It may be that, that these concepts that we've mentioned this evening are well known in the back of your mind, but perhaps we have we've stepped away from them. Perhaps they're not, they haven't been at the forefront of life. Perhaps we haven't been as passionate about these concepts as we have about other things. The invitation is open. Would you please come right now as we stand together, as we sing.